Welcome to the Auburn Live podcast, your home for bold, insightful, and honest conversations around Auburn athletics. Where you go? And welcome in to episode two of the Auburn Live podcast, uh, the second episode of A Lot More to Come. Thank you for joining us. Um, last time we had Jeffrey Leon from AuburnLive.com. We talked football and recruiting. This time we go national with the one and only Jake Crane from the J-Boy Show. Jake, what's happening? Hoke, what is up, my brother? Appreciate you asking me to come on. Uh, site looks great. You guys are doing a heck of a job and uh, excited to talk some ball with you. Sweet, man. I am as well. So Jake, Jake's launched the J-Boy Show, massive podcast. Uh, and Jake is, a, I would say, uh, a voice of college football across the nation. He, he keeps his eye on everything. Um, obviously he, he grew up in the, in the South, so he knows SEC football, but from a national perspective, he keeps his eye on everything, um, the J boy show. And so we're glad to have you on, man. So here's what I want to talk about today. We'll start high level. I want to talk about Brian Harson's program, just your thoughts on kind of where Auburn is as a program and what your thoughts are on Harson. And then we'll kind of get into fall camp and, and some of the specifics and, and things like that. Um, Auburn's a few days into fall camp. I think they're three days in. Um, starting day four of practice um, on Tuesday. Uh, we talked to Brian Harson last week. Um, you know, there's a lot of optimism with a new coaching staff. Um, we all get that. Let's start here. Where do you view Auburn as a program in terms of, and here's how we're going to judge, what do you see from Auburn as a program over the next, let's say, two to three years. So if you if you if you made that judgment on everybody in the league, let's not talk about Oklahoma and Texas for now. Um, but where do you put Auburn in the mix as a program? Saying, hey, what can you accomplish in the next two to three years? Where is Auburn in the in the SEC? Given that you know just a couple of years ago in seventeen, you know they beat Bama number one, they beat Georgia number one, they're second in the country. You know they were just there. Um, where do you put them now in terms of pecking order in the SEC? Yeah, well, you know, looking at the West, and, and I'm a firm believer and always will be that the game's won and lost up front. Regardless of what you run, if you're better up front and more versatile up front and deeper up front than other teams and you have a very high chance of having success on a consistent basis, I look at Auburn on the offensive line. I look at Auburn on the defensive line. Obviously, from an offensive line standpoint, I think they're in the middle of the pack of the SEC, even though they return some guys. I always say just because you return guys uh, doesn't mean that they played good. But, you know, if I had to project, I think Brian Harson going into year one from the personnel standpoint, there's really only so much you can do. And I know Auburn fans will be like, oh, this, that, and the other. But the depth on the offensive line isn't where it needs to be. And you can't expect a guy in his first year coming in, I don't care where he comes from, to be able to recruit off relationships the way that Kirby and Jimbo and Nick and all these other guys have. And that takes time and you got to show it on the field. So if I had to look three years down the road, I see Auburn having a chance to compete. I think Brian Harson and his staff, even though there's always fluctuations in staff, uh, will have a chance to compete. Because here's the thing, Hope. You don't have to finish above Alabama and Georgia in the recruiting rankings. Auburn's really, in my opinion, not going to do that uh, consistently, or it's going to be very rare if they do. You just got to win some of them, especially up front. So I think three years down the road, Auburn's going to have a chance to compete. Uh, but right now, it's just a big ask uh, up front to be able to, to think you're going to go out there and win the West, which in my opinion, the West is as deep as it's been in a long time. But I think Auburn's heading in the right direction. 
So if we were doing power rankings, we're saying uh, the obvious, Bama, Georgia, one, two, take your pick. I guess Bama's one, Georgia's two. You've got Florida. You've got Texas A&M. Um, I think as of now, that's probably your top four. Um, is Auburn – here's an interesting question. LSU's obviously in there. They had a bad year last year, but they're, they're obviously in there. Is Auburn closer to uh, – is Auburn closer to, let's say, Texas A&M? Or are they closer to, let's say, um, gosh, I, th- I kind of think that middle ground, there's a draw. I don't know who that would be, but are they closer to A&M or are they closer to like Ole Miss or Missouri right now? What, what's what's the gap? I mean, Ole Miss, Missouri are getting better. A&M's there. Are they closer to three or are they closer to seven? Auburn is a program. I think right now from a personnel standpoint, you know, I, I would I would put them in the five to six range. Uh, so I guess you could say closer to seven. I mean, depending on how you slice it. But look, you know, Auburn's defensive line, in my opinion, if the interior can just be good, and I think they have some talent there, even though it's young. Uh, I love Colby Wooden. I, I think Derek Hall is going to have a huge year. Uh, you know, some of the guys that they've signed, that the Riley kid I like from Kansas, he's got big upside. Uh, I would put him at probably that six range right now, truly in the middle of the pack of the SEC. And listen, AM up front, uh, they are bridging the gap with Alabama and Georgia right now. They're not there yet. LSU on the defensive line is nasty and they are deep, but their offensive line has some holes in it. They just lost Dare Rosenthal to Kentucky. And I'll tell you this, Hope. Kentucky's up there as well. I would put Auburn and Kentucky from an offensive line and defensive line standpoint uh, pretty close. Man, so that's what it feels like. Um, so when you said Auburn and Kentucky, uh, you know, I, I'm like, okay, so this is what it feels like when you're a Kentucky basketball fan and all of a sudden Auburn starts beating you with Bruce Pearl. You're like, wait a minute. Yep. This isn't, this isn't real life. Um, what is going on? I, I kind of just got a little bit of little little taste of that. Well, Hoke, we this caveat too, and, and I'm not here to bash Gus Malzahn and, and do all this, but when you don't sign a high school offensive tackle for four years in a run-first offense, because this this game is about two things, recruiting wow. development and roster structure. And the reason that Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher and all these guys uh, are able to have success not only at one place but at multiple places is they understand how to structure a roster where you don't lose too much at once. There was a point coming into this season where Auburn had five junior offensive tackles on the roster. That's disgusting. <laughs> Look at the wide receiver room. I mean, I've got more experience uh, helping Elon Musk land rockets backwards on a plant f- platform in the ocean than the wide receiver room does outside of Demetrius Robertson and a few guys that have been there for a couple of years. That shouldn't happen at a place like Auburn. And when it does happen, it sets you back and it takes time uh, and, and it, it affects depth. So uh, Auburn's got an uphill fight. That's probably Brian Harson. Me, me and him have talked about this. That's probably his most uphill battle right now. Uh, but at least he understands that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the receivers. Um, uh, I looked it up. You've got your leading, your leading receivers coming back in terms of catches are Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers. They've got <laughs> they they both had more catches than any receiver you have coming back, which is which is extraordinary. That's your running back and your backup running back. Yeah. No, it's the again, it's that doesn't happen at places that consistently win. There's a reason why Gus Malzahn's not the coach at Auburn anymore, and that's one of them. There's there's multiple reasons. But look, at the end of the day, Brian Harson was dealt the hand he was dealt. 
I think the Robertson kid from Georgia was a big pickup. And remember, I said this, I've been saying this, and I'm going to keep saying it. Watch out for Tarvaris Dawson. He's got to gain a little weight. But from what I'm hearing, and, and Cornelius Williams, me and him GA together, and is a good friend of mine, they are very excited about this kid. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've heard the same. Um, and then you hear, you know, we talked to Mike Bobo, uh, and he had good things to say about Dawson as well. Elite speed, said elite speed, says he loves football, good attitude. Um, really, his setbacks are, I guess, his size, which you can't do anything about at the moment, and his youth, which can't do anything about at the moment except for fall camp. But he's got the things that Auburn needs. It's it's same with Javar Shaws. Those two guys have got things that Auburn doesn't have. Um, and you throw Rod, Demetrius Robertson in the mix as well, and, and Mike Bobo made it a point to say they have speed, and we need speed. We need mm-hmm. speed on this football team. The SEC's full of big, strong, fast guys, and they felt like they were lacking speed at the receiver, receiver position. Therefore, you go get Robertson, and you give and you give Dawson a, a shot because you're going to need some play. You're going to need some yeah. some some playmakers in there to get separation to get open. I mean, Bo Nix is struggling enough with his accuracy the first two years. So he needs as much help as he can get. The tight end position, Auburn, all of a sudden is kind of loaded at tight end. Um, a bunch of good players there, um, and then but, and, and but, but, I, a, but a fast I, slot guy. I'll let you go. But a fast no. slot guy can help as well. Get open. So not every throw has to be so freaking yeah. hard if you have somebody that can create separation. Yeah, and the tight end position, they've got a ton of potential. They've got to do it on the field. Uh, I love the deal, kid. I love Frazier. I, lo- I think Shanker is going to be a big part of this offense. I think Mike Bobo really likes that Swiss Army knife, and I don't think they're going to put him in the slot and put him on the ball like last year where Jordan Rogers did a whole Broadway musical on how that makes absolutely no sense and has so many tendencies, it's ridiculous. But, yeah, look, you've got to be balanced because here's the deal. You, you know, there's – the position wide receiver is one position, but it's really two positions. You have inside guys and outside guys. It's very rare to have guys that are as talented on the inside as they are the outside, whether you want to call it the Z, the X, the H, whatever you want to call it. And I think Auburn has a lot of potential, even at wide receiver. I think Elijah Canyon is a guy that in the red zone is going to be a problem. Looks pretty good against Northwestern. We know Javaris Johnson, a slot guy. They're going to give him the speed sweep. He's going to be good in the intermediate game. And listen, you don't have to have a bunch of Jerry Rices out there. You just need to be consistent. You need to have guys that can do multiple things, guys that can get in and out of breaks. Because all you need is the vertical threat. If you have the vertical threat, it opens up the whole kitchen. That's where it starts. It's kind of different, uh, you know, when you look at the way you build a, build the, the inside, the offensive line and the defensive line, as opposed to the way you build wide receivers. You build wide receivers from all the way down the field back. On the offensive line, you try and build it from outside in. So uh, you're exactly right. Um, one of the things that um, Cole Kublik, who you know, I know, uh, SEC Network analyst, he said during SEC Media Days when they were talking about Brian Harson, he said something that when he said it, I knew it was going to get him in trouble, but that didn't stop me from quoting him. Um, and that is that Brian Harson is the, in terms of, everybody calm down, in terms of personality and in terms of, process like how he's cut how he's made he said brian harson is the closest thing to nick saban now you know cole spent a little bit of time with 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 harson um that's a big statement uh what do you like what do you and so, so we i say i bring that up because i think it's an interesting statement we're trying to figure out who brian harson is as a coach we're trying to figure out what, what he's gonna be like on game days we're trying to figure out what is what he's gonna be like as a program builder and so we put that comment up 
um, we had a social graphic and it, we put it up on Twitter because we thought it was interesting. And Alabama fans got a little upset um, yeah. because, <laughs> you know, either either they disagree with that, which is funny because they don't know Brian Harson, so they can't possibly really – they can't really disagree with it. Or they can't comprehend words, and they think that Cole Kublik was comparing Brian Harson to Nick Saban in some grand <laughs> way, which he wasn't. So what, what do you make of Cole's comment in terms of process and how he's cut? What are your impressions of Harson? Um can we take anything from from Harson at this point in terms of trying to figure out if he's a program builder? I mean, give me some overall thoughts on Brian Harson. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think Cole's wrong. Uh, I mean, Brian, uh, you know, like Coach Saban, is very analytical. Uh, they're very detail oriented in everything they do. They want to know everything that's going on. That doesn't make you a micromanager, and that doesn't mean that Brian Harson's going to have the success that Nick Saban had. I don't think anybody's ever going to have the success that Nick Saban had in college football, but that doesn't mean you can't share the same personality traits. And when I look at what Brian Harson does, it's like building a business. And in my opinion, Tommy Tuberville was great at this too, is that I'm going to have my hand in everything, but I'm not going to take the cookie out of everybody's cookie jar. I'm going to let guys coach, but we're going to do it my way. I'm more concerned about the culture and, and what separates Saban is, is he's unbelievable from an X's and O's standpoint. Brian's great too, but Nick's on a different level. But they both understand that this isn't Star Wars. To beat the Death Star, you can't be the Rebellion. You have to build your own Death Star. What does that mean? You throw bodies at the recruiting department. You overstaff yourself. You have you hire a tight ends coach uh, that's really an extra offensive line coach, and you send the tight ends with the receivers during pre-practice to work on routes. Then you put them in the same film room with the O-line so they understand their combo blocks, they know what they're looking at, and they can form that chemistry. You also understand perception. You understand how uh, outside factors affect the inside and trying to make the team as routine as possible because it's all about the routine because how you live your life off the field is going to translate itself onto the field when it gets thick. That's how it's always going to be. And when I look at Brian Harson, he wants to be a CEO that is building a big company. And to do that, you have to make sure every wing is functioning and moving as one organism. I think that's what Cole meant, and I agree with him. How hard is that now? I mean, it's just mm – -hmm. I think of – man, it really overnight, um, the way we look at college football, the way we judge coaches, the way we, you know, judge a program, everything changes with – to me with, with NIL a little bit, but with the transfer portal a lot. And you just – I look at it now and go, okay, so how, you know, now that you have access to the transfer portal, do we speed up our expectations? Like, well, you, now you got two ways to get players in. Um, but then again, now you got a, a way to lose players quickly. So it's, it, it just changes things so, so much. I mean, Auburn's just been such a crazy place over the years where you had, you know, Tuberville in year two wins the West. Um, you know, Chiswick in year two wins the national championship. Malzahn in year one um, goes to the national championship. All the way back to Terry Bowden, year one goes undefeated. I mean, Auburn's coaches, it's been wild how those first couple of years they succeed. But just in general, um, what, how, how, are, how are we looking at Brian Harson and, and his success in these first couple of years? I mean, everything is so instantaneous. Um, what do you want to see from him this year? What do you want to see from him from a recruiting class maybe next year? Like, what are things that if, if you're an Auburn fan and you're going, 
I want to know, like, I want to feel good or bad about where this is going. What are keys to look for this, this fall? Like, what will you be looking for to, to, to maybe make a determination and go, okay, I think he's here to stay or, Hmm, there's a few things here that have me worried. Yeah. And, and, you know, to your first point with the NI on the transfer portal, I think, you know, from a coaching standpoint, the transfer portal is way more detrimental to building that culture than NIL is. At the end of the day, the players know who the best players are in the locker room. I think that's kind of an overblown thing where people think everybody's going to be freaking out. But, you know, where the transfer portal hurts you, and I can't believe they haven't changed this rule, and I've talked about it on the show, is that you can only sign 25 scholarship guys a year, but there's no limit on how many people can leave. So it's not a true one-for-one. One. That creates a big problem. A lot of coaches have been outspoken about that. I would not be shocked to see that change. But, you know, football and basketball are different. And I'm not saying it's, it's easy to build a, a culture and maintain a foundation in, in college basketball, but you're not dealing nearly with the amount of positions and the amount of personnel uh, on, a, on a basketball roster than you are a football roster. And you can't just go out there and have mercenaries for hire every year and hope to compete. I'll go back to what I said about Gus Miles on the offensive tackle. He tried to do that the last four years at Auburn where they just went mercenary for hire, whether it's Juco or getting a grad transfer in or whatever, the offensive tackle position, and Auburn struggled to run the ball and compete up front in the offensive line. So I think it is tough, especially with the transfer portal. Now, what Auburn fans, in my opinion, need to look for, and listen, you, you should expect you should want to win every game. Right? Like, the standard doesn't change, right. but you also have to be realistic. And I know that's asking a lot, and everybody's excited for football and stuff like that, and you want Auburn to win every game, I get it. But what I'm looking for is how is how organized is Auburn on the side? How many procedure penalties are you getting? Are guys getting lined up right on defense and not like last year where this Zacoby's having to move everybody all the time everywhere, him and Owen, to get lined up? Yeah. Are guys still rooting for each other when it's not going good? Is the quarterback screaming at the offensive coordinator running off the field? That's when I knew the death knell was in last year at South Carolina. When that yeah. starts happening, then, then you've lost the respect of the players, in my opinion. And look, it gets heated sometimes, but in no shape, fashion, or form is it okay for what went on last year to go on. I always quote dodgeball, the whole I'm not okay and you're not okay, but that's okay. That doesn't work in this game. That doesn't work in this league. And also, you know, are you seeing guys progress throughout the year? Are guys getting better or are they getting worse? And I'll go back to the first thing I said. Everybody can get excited when it's going good. Everybody can get excited. That's very easy. But if you go up to Penn State and you're down 10 to nothing going in the second quarter, are guys still cheering each other up? Are they still like, hey, man, we got this? Are guys walking up and down the sideline on the bench, not just challenging each other, but saying, hey, I trust you? Are, is, is Bo Nix going up to the defense saying, give me the ball back? I swear to God, we're going to score. Stuff like that. That's what I want to see. And that's been the difference, in my opinion, the last couple of years, outside of just raw personnel. Yeah. Uh, all right. You talk about Bo Nix. You brought him up. So let's talk about Bo Nix. Um, look, I think most people that have watched Bo Nix that followed him, followed him in high school and have watched him in the last two years, it's pretty obvious, I think, what the, what the problems are. Extremely talented kid. Um, physical kid can make the throws from a, you know, just from a talent standpoint. He can run. He's tough. He takes hits. He's got all the all those intangibles. He's got all those things that, that you can't always coach. Um, but it's pretty obvious his accuracy has been very poor. Uh, his footwork is poor. Um, his his desire to stay in the pocket is not always there. And you combine that with 
what I think what a lot of people saw as a scheme that did him no favors. Um, it was either go deep, jump all to Seth Williams, or I, I don't know, you know, maybe try to look for an out route. It was just, it was a combination of things that didn't make, didn't, didn't do him any favors. We talked to Mike Bobo. He says the number one thing he's focused on with Bo is fundamentals. He said he's got the talent. He's a, he's he said he's an extremely hard worker. He's in the film room. He's in his he's in his Bobo's office all the time watching film. So all good things in terms of putting the work in from Bo Nix, leader, competitor, winner, all that good stuff. But he said it's about fundamentals. Specifically, he talked about keeping his feet underneath him, keeping his balance. He said he had a great day the other day. His, his feet were balanced. His feet were underneath him. Um, and he literally mentioned, hey, there's a couple times when he scrambles, and that's when he gets in trouble. But he also went to say, but we're not going to take that away from him because he's really good at scrambling, and that scares defenses. So you have a new offense coming in. He's going to be under center some. You have a great running back behind you. You have a, a, an unproven receiving core. What in the world – are we to expect from Bo Nix in this offense this year when you think about the improvements he has to make mm -hmm. and, and the back tank bigs be behind him, but a bunch of receivers who are unproven in an offensive line that should be decent. Um, what, what are, I mean, I just, I just don't know what to expect from the offense and from Bo Nix this year. I mean, wh what do you think it's going to look like? How much is Bo going to improve? And I mean, just give me your take on kind of that, convolution of of stuff that's happening for Auburn this fall yeah well and, and I've talked about this on the show uh, a lot is that two things can be true at once uh and I think sometimes you know fans media whatever uh try and pigeonhole into one thing either Bo Nix is terrible or the offensive line and the scheme is terrible multiple things can be true at once Bo Nix needs to get better from the pocket just like you mentioned he needs to calm his feet down he needs to square his shoulders he needs to be able to take a deep breath he doesn't need to try and improvise everything. This isn't, you know, SNL with Will Ferrell. Uh, but also the scheme, because Gus Malzahn came into the league with tempo. That was his thing. Right. And he wrote on it. He was really one of the first guys, the frontier guys on it. And he would catch the defenses in base. And if I know you're in base, I don't have to have a bunch of three wide receiver combinations. I've got a good idea who's going to be open. But just like everything in every sport, eventually the defenses catch up. And once they caught up, there was no answer for it. And you mix that with an offensive line that has struggled at the tackle position. Uh, Bo Nix, you know, uh, pretty much made the decision, I'm going to have to run around to do this. Uh, but now what I think Mike Bobo was doing is saying, it's I, I call it addition by subtraction. We're not going to overload you with 50,000 things. We're going to go back to the basics. We're going to get you under center, which what that does from a play action standpoint is it slows down the defensive ends because they're not getting a good read on what's going on because they got his back turned to them. You're able to sell the fake a lot better. And in the shotgun, they know the launch point. They know where you're getting back to. They know how many steps it takes past the tackle to get to you, and it's muscle memory for them. But what I would expect out of Bo Nix this year, there's two words that I want everybody in Auburn, actually two separate terms that have two words in them. One is the check down. That will be Bo Nix's best friend. Get the ball to Tank Bigsby in space. Be able to say, you know what? Instead of trying scrambling and do something crazy and throwing back across my body, I'm going to throw it to Tank Bigsby. I'm going to let him get seven yards. We're going to get in second and three. And the second thing is the tight end. People don't realize for the most point how much a tight end puts pressure on a defense, especially in a red zone, especially when you can attack the seam. Auburn hasn't been able to attack the scene in five or six years. 
that takes a ton of pressure off the linebackers in coverage. And what you do is you make them vulnerable. This game is about matchups, just like most sports are. So when you look at Bo Nix this year, I would see number one is the center quarterback exchange good, which I think it will be. They've had plenty of time. But how comfortable is Bo Nix getting into his drop and how is the clock in his head? And going in, you know, it's different in practice. And scrimmages are great and all that stuff is great. But when you're wearing a red jersey and the stands aren't full and the lights aren't at their brightest, it's a little bit easier to do it. When the lights are on and, and it's real, you tend to regress back to what your muscle memory and what your fundamentals are. That's what that's what Bobo and Harson them are trying to pound into his head. You don't have to be too much. It's like we used to tell our quarterbacks, you can be the difference, just don't be the reason. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. Uh, so, yeah, you look at Bo's last two years, he, you know, he went 57% his freshman year, completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, six picks. Um, 1,900 yards, something like that. Last year, 59%, uh, like 12 and seven touchdowns, interceptions, threw for more yards, but, you know, they they aired it out more uh, in general. So, Hatton broke 60%, still about two to one touchdown to, um, you know, to interception ratio. Any ideas on what you think? What give me just a ballpark? What do you think his numbers are going to be? You know, obviously it's a new it's a, it's a new offense. We don't know exactly know what it's going to look like. We don't know exactly know what receivers are going to step up. But if we know we're going to go under center a little bit, from what Bobo says, you're still going to have some spread stuff. Um, you've got a little bit of speed at receiver. You got a little tight end action. Tank in the offensive line is going to be a big part. Any ideas? What What do you think a good season for Bo Nix is? Or instead of trying to just you know go across all the numbers, maybe we look at it and say, what's a good touchdown to interception or a completion percentage? Like, what's maybe one stat that you're saying I really would like to see him get here on this stat, or I'd love to see him do just this this thing in terms of if he can just throw five picks, or if he can complete this percentage, I really like what Auburn can do. Yeah, I look at completion percentage, and it goes back to what we were just talking about. It's amazing how your completion percentage goes up when you throw the check down and you're able to hit the tight end as a security. Yes. That that really kind of fulfills that stat. I think anything, uh, and you that know, our target. Crazy, you know, let's quarter, say that again. That just drove me crazy. The, the lack of check downs over the last few years is just mind blowing. To never have a back or never have somebody that you can dump to is crazy. It's so easy to get those yards. Yeah, no, it is. And, and again, you're you're constantly applying pressure on the defense because the first read's not always going to be there. The yeah. second read's not always going to Hell, Justin, the third read's not always going to be there. I'm just glad Auburn's going to have an offense where the passing in, there's actually more than one read, honestly. <laughs> but when you're able to dump it down, you're just consistently applying pressure to the defense. Because who knows? You throw the check down to Tank Bigsby, he makes one guy miss. He's good enough to go all the way. Yep. I mean, he's that talented. And again, third and four, being able to hit the tight end on a five-yard stick uh, or being able to, to make the linebackers ha have to play with their eyes and get out of position. And heck, even the, the backs running routes, I mean, the angle route is a hell of a route to defend at the linebacker position. you got talented guys enough to do it. So I think anything over 65% from a completion percentage uh, would put Auburn in a pretty good position because, uh, again, the goals are going to be a lot higher in the room in there. They're going to talk about, you know, 75% and this, that, and the other. He gets to 70%. Auburn's going to be very effective uh, offensively. Uh, but, again, going back to the play-action game under center, I think that's going to give him more time to be able to kind of see what's going downfield, give more time for routes to develop down the field. Uh, so I'd look at completion percentage because that's a big deal, but you're right. The check down, the tight end game, it's like shooting free throws. They all, st they all stuff the stat sheet, baby.
Hey, real quick, because I know that you could probably talk for 30 minutes on this. Um, under center. So we, we know that's happening. Um, I saw a little bit, you know, we, we got a viewing session in a couple of practices. So I saw him him under center taking snaps. Look, looked fine for a guy that pretty much has never done it uh, in high school and in college. Um, how are we glossing over how big that could be? Do, do you have any concerns about, hey, that's a big adjustment in terms of under center and play action that changes everything or is, is it, it should it should it be fine? I mean, what's your take on him going under center, how much it's going to be used and and could it be a bigger deal than, than we're thinking it is? Yeah, you know, I, th I think there's a great line from Vince Vaughn and Wedding Crashers. You know, I was all state in high school. I could fit it through a donut hole down there if I wanted to. But no, uh, look, here's the thing under center. You know, this guy's – Bo Nix is an elite athlete. He really is. Uh, he really is uh, at this level. Uh, I think the quarterback exchange thing's overblown. That's the first thing people want to go to. It's kind of like a talking point of, well, you got to get, get – and, and it's not easy, but when you have this much time to practice it, uh, I think he'll be fine there. Where it really helps you. And in my opinion, where you're going to see, you know, Bo Nix kind of be able to cheat a little bit is when you're in the shotgun, you have to keep your eye on the ball to catch it. Well, what does that mean? That keeps your eyes from seeing the safety rotation. Uh, it takes away, you know, seeing if there's pressure coming from a certain side when that ball's being snapped. Now, not only pre-snap, can you go under center, see where the safeties are, are. Is it too high? Is it one high? How many guys are in the box? Where's the nickel, the star, whatever you want to call them, the Sam? But you're also, when you get in your drop, and I'm not talking about play action because your back's turned, you know, you kind of got to give and take a little bit on that. If I'm getting back into my drop, I can see the safety's rotation as I'm dropping, which is a huge indicator of where I've got to go to the ball, uh, go with the ball. Is it man? Is it zone? You talk about going in Coach Bubba's room watching film. I promise you they are doing nothing but looking at safety rotations at corner leverages where do you expect pressure from? And, you know, you always hear the term, throw the hot, throw the hot, throw the hot. Well, if you're under center and you're dropping back and you can see where the pressure is coming from, you can throw the hot a whole hell of a lot quicker than you could if you're having to look at the ball. So yeah. I think it kind of speeds up uh, your reading process. It turns you from a dyslexic to a speed reader pretty quick. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. That's that's good perspective. I knew you, I knew you had some perspective. I just kind of wanted to, to get some of that out there because – I think a lot of people are like, all right, we're going under center. And probably the only thing a novel fan is like, well, I guess as long as he didn't fumble the snap, you know, I mean, just yeah. don't fumble it, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's the first part, but then there's so much more in terms of reading things. It's not just like, well, as long as he doesn't, as long as they get the exchange, right. You know, he'll be good. You know? Yeah. I always laugh because I mean, guys that have been going under center their whole life, even in the NFL, they'll fumble a snap every now and then. It's going to happen. Uh, yeah. It's, it's just going to happen. It's part of the deal. It's like guys dropping the snap and shotgun are getting a bad snapping shotgun. You know, nobody shoots 100% from the free throw line either. So the first time that it happens, and it may happen early against Akron, don't freak out. Don't say, oh, my God, why are we going under center? This makes no sense. It's going to happen just like anything else in sports. It's just trying to keep those to a minimum and don't let it kill drives. Right, yeah, my man Jay Lee said the other day, he said the uh, he said the last time he saw Bo Nix go under center, he threw a lateral against Arkansas. <laughs> hey, no, nah, hey, no, nah, man, that was before pass, man. <laughs> yeah, I said, I said, hold on, hold on. Now, we all know Shedrick Jackson had that, if not for the whistle. I mean, Arkansas yeah, fans will admit that. I'm, not, I'm sure, right? Yeah, that was an inadvertent win and an inadvertent whistle. Um, all right, let's get to some questions before we get out of here. Um, 
We go to our Auburn Live message board, The Corner, which is a hot place to be these days. We, we had a little mailbag. We had some people throw out some questions. Let's see if we can't get to some of these. Actually, um, Pena87 threw out the Bo Nix under center thing, so that's kind of where I went with that one. Um, let's see if we can get to a couple of good ones. Punt returner, we don't know that yet. I'm sure you know there will be some different guys in the mix there, but that's, that's probably too early um, to know anything there. Fullback, yeah, that's an interesting, I guess, if you're going to go under center, has there been any talk of, is there going to be a fullback, is there going to be an I formation under center, or are we just talking about going under center to, to run play action? Um, I, I have no idea if they went I, who, who's there, who's in front of Tank. I mean, I think it would be Shanker if I had to look at it. And then look, there's Probably, there's yeah. different there's different names for fullback. You got the H-back and all, all different stuff like that. I think you're going to see a lot of that in the red zone. Uh, I, I think you're going to get more of, of your single back game. You may even get uh, some split back from under center a little bit. Uh, Texas A&M's really been going a lot of that out of the gun, which you can do the same thing from under center. Uh, but the closer you get to the to the end zone, I think you're going to have a lead blocker. And do not be shocked if you see Auburn pull out a little Al Borges uh, wisdom from 2004 and go a little play action, uh, hit the H-back in the flat for a touchdown, running the arrow, whatever you want to call it. But I think you'll see some of that. And that comes with going under center, uh, that more pro-style uh, effect and and look you know I would not be shocked and you know I haven't been to a practice yet or whatever if you don't see JJ Pagese at that fullback spot in the red zone uh, when they get down there because that guy is a problem and he's not afraid to, uh, afraid to put his face in it yeah Pagese lands on Bruce Feldman's uh, freaks list this year um, and for good reason yeah he, he's he's a monster he, he needs to be out there some way somehow that question was from Red M O C M you know people I can't what is that? I can't even say. Is that? A, is it, should I, I mean, is that a username? I can't. I can't. Red M O C M. I recognize it though from back in the bunker days. Um, let's see if we can get another question here. Uh, JJ Pagis. We just talked about that. That's <laughs> from God Camet. That's funny. Um, we talked. Any like the, the the Lord of the passing game in, in Greek mythology? Lord, yes, Lord of the passing game, basketball. We'll get look. Well, ba- bunch of basketball coverage on Auburn Live. We had a one-on-one Bruce Pearl that we just put part three up. Um, it was fantastic. It was just it was Auburn Live and Bruce Pearl sitting in the middle of the arena talking for thirty minutes. And so we just put part three of that interview up. So somebody asked about basketball. Go there. Bunch of good stuff about um, Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith and those guys. Just wanted to give a quick a quick shout out there. Um, I don't really want to get into recruiting. Um, although we could just from a general broad sense, any, any comments on recruiting, should Auburn fans be worried? I think they can close strong. Um, you know, they're probably going to take a smaller class, just some quick impressions on them as recruiters. Do you have any? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I actually think, you know, if you look, Auburn's getting hot, they're about to get another four star here soon. Uh, they got a few more, I think that are leaning that way, but look, if you expect Brian Harson to come in and, and I always when people said, Oh, well, you know, uh, he needs to come in and, and, and get on fire and sound these five stars. He hadn't had a chance to build the relationships with the kids uh, and the staff that Kirby and them have been able to build and Jimbo and heck, even Mark Stoops and them. Uh, and that takes time. You, you can't speed that up because if you're asking for somebody's most prized possession, which is their baby, uh, they need to know who you are and know who you are for a while. Because a lot of times you're not recruiting the kid, you're recruiting the parents or the grandparents or whoever's there along with the kid. So that takes time. Uh, now, I I get the, we want to get, you know, diamonds in the rough and develop them. And, and that's great for a small percentage of the class. But again, 
to be able to run with the big boys, you have got to sign the most elite linemen that you possibly can on both sides of the ball on a consistent basis. Will they be able to do that? You got to win on the field. And we all know that today's society isn't a what have you done for me lately? Uh, it's a what are you doing for me tomorrow society? And that's how it is in recruiting right now. And the jury's still out on that. But anybody freaking out about Auburn's recruiting right now, uh, just calm down and give the man some time. Yeah. I mean, recruiting, it's about relationships, man. And that stuff takes a lot of – well, first got to find all these players and have the relationships to know the guy, the diamonds in the rough when he's a sophomore and who his parent is and who, who's the uncle's buddy that, that you know, that you got to get in with. I mean, it's just so many things that you got to know. So it, it, it does take – it does take some time. Um, basketball again. We'll talk. We'll talk basketball in a later podcast. Auburn's going to be good. There's my analysis for now. Yeah, um, agreed. Let's see. Vaccinations. We're not talking vaccinations. Sorry, AUJHW. I just I have nothing to add to that. Harson's trying to educate the team. That's about all I can add to it. Um, all right. Let's end on this, man. You know, Auburn has a crazy hard schedule. We know that. Penn State week three, which, you know, I've been on a few shows and people have asked me how big that game is and, 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 you know, Hey, what would that mean if Auburn could win that game? And, um, man, I, I don't know how fair that is. Penn State's good. They're going to be better than Auburn. They're going to be ranked higher than Auburn. It's a road game. It's a whiteout. It's the first road game under with this offense and, 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 and everything you're going to have to deal with from, from audibles and stuff like that and new defense, you're going on the road for the first time. Like, I don't – a lot of people keep thinking, oh, if Auburn could win that game, what would it do for the season? Man, that almost seems like some pretty unfair – you're almost saying you kind of – if they don't win it, are you going to go, boy, they missed a big opportunity? I mean, maybe, yeah. I just I, – I don't think they're – I'm not going to that game thinking Auburn can win. Maybe that will change in week two. Um, I think that's a game where – I'm look, moral victories are a thing. You can make fun of them, but, but they are they are a thing, especially for a new coaching staff. And what you're trying to build there, Auburn could come away from that game very positive about the direction. But what's just sort of your take on the season as a whole, in terms of how hard it is? What's a good record? Is there obviously there's context to it? Hey, if you if they go this, but they beat this team and they look good, like what constitutes a successful season for Auburn and Brian Harson in year one? in your opinion, like what are some of the things, whether it's wins, losses or whatever, what makes a good season? Yeah. You know, I look at the win losses. I think if you can go eight and four or better, it'd be a heck of a job, especially with the way the West is with what he inherited at Auburn. Uh, I think the defense is going to be really good. I thought they did a good job in the transfer portal, especially in the back end. I'm excited to see Tony fair. Uh, like I said, the Riley kid, I'm, I'm excited to see him or excuse me, the Harris kid. Uh, but when I look at the Penn State game, it is unfair to say, you know, the game hinges on one season. Uh, if they beat, beat Penn State, that'll mean one thing. They're 3-0. and And if you look at the schedule ahead of them, it's tough. You know, you come back and play Georgia State. You go to LSU, you got Georgia at home. So if you lose Penn State, it's a pretty good chance you could lose three out of four. And that's where you're going to find out how strong the team is mentally if that happens. Now, if you win that game, because, look, football is like life. It's a game of momentum and angles. And if you're able to, you know, correlate some, uh, uh, correlate some momentum in that third game, it gives you a lot of confidence. Uh, you'd probably be 4-0 going to LSU, uh, which would, you know, be a huge game. You'd obviously be moving up the rankings. And look, Justin, I think they got a shot to beat Penn State. You know, Penn State last year, I know last year was an anomaly. Uh, up front, their personnel wasn't that good. They got questions at quarterback. So uh, I'll be interested to see it. The environment, 
uh, is going to be crazy. We all know that. Uh, but what happens on the field happens on the field. A lot of that stuff, while it does affect the game, once the ball snap, guys are out there playing. So uh, it could be a springboard. But if they lose that game, I wouldn't shut down the tents and, and fold the season. Uh, just know it's going to be an uphill battle, even though, even like it would be if they won that game. It's going to be a great litmus test. And if you're Brian Harson, you Auburn, you want that. You don't want to play Alcorn State four times before you play LSU. We want to be able to go back, look at the tape, and really see how we stack up as you get ready for SEC play. The biggest question for me is which track Ryan Harson and the staff take. And I think you got to take the one where you just got to run the offense. Uh, do you over-prepare Penn State, put in a bunch of extra formations and motions to try and spread them out uh, preparation-wise? Or do you go vanilla ice cream and not let them know what to expect? But with an unproven wide receiver core, with a quarterback that's getting used to going under center, uh, you need to get those guys some chemistry and get them catching some balls. Uh, so I think that game is going to be a big tell more of really what Auburn wants to do offensively from a schematic standpoint than anything. Yeah, and I think I mean, really I think the LSU game might be more important. I mean, I don't oh yeah, LSU I take the L I take an LSU win over a Penn State win any day of the week. Well, that's for sure, especially at LSU. I mean, I feel like we're, Auburn's never going to win there again. Gus, you know what? Gus losing that game in 2017 is almost a fireable offense in and of itself. Yeah. Um, to lose that opportunity to lose in Baton Rouge that year, up 20 to nothing or whatever they were, is just dang near unforgivable. Um, but I think that game, first in the conference, I mean, just as tough a game as Penn State. I mean, that might be – and you're, you're further into the season. Maybe you know more – and maybe you're a little better by LSU than Penn State. LSU game might actually be um, a more winnable game than Penn State. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, I think those games are going to be huge. Bam and Georgia are going to be really, really tough. a and is going to be really, really tough. Um, and so I think early on they've got – you know, and then you've got those – you've got Ole Miss and, and you've got other games. Nothing's going to be easy. Um, but I'm – I'm more of I'm more look at it. Penn State and LSU probably would combine those. I don't think you can make judgments after just Penn State, but I think Penn State and LSU you could probably make a lot on yeah. how the season's going to go, and you just want to see offensive line, Bo Nix. There's just some things that you can look at and go, okay, they can travel, they can compete. All right, so now we know they're going to be in every game, even Georgia and Alabama at home. If there's some things you can see, you can like, okay, we can we can hang tight, maybe we can hang tough. Um, I think a lot of it hinges on the offensive line um, and their ability to run the ball, which which takes pressure off Bo Nix. It takes pressure off the receivers. And then the defensive tackle position, I've said that for a while to me, that position, we know they've got edge guys. The defensive tackle position is, is you've got Colby Wooden, but what's Tony Fair look like? Marcus Harris, there's some new guys. They should be good, but we just don't know. And if that's not up to par, which it wasn't last year, they got run on, um, then it's a problem. If it is, you've got. I mean, I think you what you think really highly of the Auburn defense. If the defensive tackles are there, you think that's a top three defense in the league? Yeah, I, I think it has potential to be. You know, uh, I had Auburn uh, in the top five defenses on the ranking we put out on social media. Because listen, you know, Roger McCreary is graded very high by scouts. I mean, speaking of on three, I had Jason Zenitz on a couple weeks ago, and he had him graded out as the third best DB in the conference uh, overall, which there's a lot of good DBs in this conference. I mean, LSU's got Eli Ricks and Stingley out there. Uh, and Mason the called him an alpha, by the way. Mason Mason yeah. today called him the alpha of the group, Roger McCreary. Yeah, he's, he's, he's not afraid of it. Scared money doesn't make money, especially back there. Smoke Monday, uh, interested to see if his hips are a little bit better than last year. Uh, that kind of caught him a few times. Teams exploited that. But 
you know, picking up Donovan Kaufman was huge. I'm telling you, this kid can play. Donovan Kaufman can really play. Darius Knighton can really play. But a guy that not a lot of people are talking about is Drayshawn Miller. Uh, Drayshawn Miller's an NFL player. He's kind of a, a thicker corner. Uh, I think they're going to put Roger in the boundary, put him on the field. And the common misconception is, oh, well, why wouldn't I put my bigger corner in the boundary? Well, that's what the offense wants you to do. That's why when they go trips, they put the solo receiver into the boundary to get that matchup. Because typically, especially when you're running zone coverage, uh, that, that guy's going to be soloed up. That's one-on-one. And whether you want to press, whether you want to play off, it's kind of up to you. But the depth, I think, of the defense, I mean, the linebacker position, Auburn's very talented. And if Tony Fair can get in there and be a plugger up the middle, I mean, he doesn't have to be in Dominican Sioux. Uh, you know, he's going to have a chance. I am really high on Lee Hunter. I know he's raw, but I think he has a chance to be a really good player. J.J. Pegues, we'll see. He's got to get a ton of reps. Uh, and he's got the athleticism to do it. I think he could end up being a heck of a pass rusher from the inside. But I really think this Auburn defense has a chance to be pretty special. Yeah, that, I think that's, that would be huge. That would go a long way in giving some cover to an offense trying to find themselves. Uh, as Mike Bobo said um, at the beginning of fall camp now, uh, three days in, he goes, we're, we're still trying to figure out who we are. He goes, There's, we're not, we know what we're trying to do. He goes, like, Harson, myself, we know schematically what we're about. We don't know who we are in terms of what are our players' strengths and weaknesses, what are our strengths mm-hmm. and weaknesses, how do we play to, to what they do best. They're still trying to figure that out. So imagine the challenge here. We're in August, and your offensive coordinator is telling you, we're still trying to figure out, like, what exactly our offense will look like based on how good our guys mm-hmm. are. There's they're just there's a lot they're trying to figure out on offense. And so that's why I think there's just so much to try to put on them for that Penn State game. Like, well, if they could just win that game, I mean, they're they're gonna go into that game with still so much they have no idea about themselves. Um, and it's just that if the defense can be that, what you described, it'd be really big to give them a little cover and maybe give them a little time to figure that out. The defense could really help them win, um, win a game or two potentially. Um or just just save them and keep them in a ball game early as that offense tries to figure it out. Yeah, and, and you know, it's that's the, probably the hardest part about being a new staff with new players. Because, uh, again, guys that have been there and recruited these guys and, and watched them for a couple of years, you know what their strengths are. And, and I do like that, that they're going to be malleable. They're not stuck in one thing saying, well, we're going to do this. Uh, I don't care if we're good at it or not. I mean, that, yeah. that's a death knell. That gets you fired. Uh, but, look, you know, one of the best parts from an offensive standpoint about having a good defense is, you know, there's always pressure on you, but it takes a little bit of pressure off. You know, you don't feel like you have – you want to go out there and score every time, but if something goes wrong, somebody fumbles the ball or you get a three and out, you're not like, oh, God, we're going to be down seven already. So uh, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. And typically early, especially in fall camp and really in the season, now that we've had a spring and a summer unlike last year, the defense should be ahead of the offense. And if they aren't, you've got bigger problems on your hands. It's going to be interesting. I think there's a lot of optimism. I will say, you know, maybe it's just hearing the coaches, being around it. I don't know. I I feel a little more optimistic about what Auburn can be now than maybe I did a week ago. Um, and I'm I'm a pretty realistic person. I'm I, I'm not a Kool Aid drinker. Um, but I I think I think there's some good things you're hearing from the coaches as far as some positions that you need to hear good things on. And so I think there's an opportunity for this team. They just need to stay healthy. They can't afford a lot of injuries, especially at, at offensive line. I mean, if, if they if they lost Tank or if they lost one offensive lineman, 
um, especially a tackle, like it, it could fall apart quickly if, if Colby wouldn't went out or, you know, there's, they're not that deep. So they need to stay healthy. But I think there's a chance for Auburn to be probably a little better than people think they are, but it's a crazy hard schedule. Um, hey, before we get out of here, tell everybody about kind of where to find you and what you got going on. If you can say anything, <laughs> you've, been, you've been hinting on Twitter and stuff. But tell everybody where they can find you and, and, and sort of what your plan is for the J-Boy Show. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, we're on Twitter and Instagram. It's the J-Boy Show. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, we do have some news that's going to be breaking uh, next week. Uh, you know, I hate to tease it, but, you know, I guess you kind of got to in this profession, but I can't say it yet. Uh, some big news. Uh, we're going to be doing everything from simulcasting games uh, to doing live stuff. It's uh, going to be a little bit of everything. Uh, so make sure you check us out, throw us a subscription, uh, follow us. Uh, again, it's all free, uh, and you can come check it out. We cover everybody, and, and really, you know, we don't talk politics. We talk ball and life and, and stuff like that and how it correlates. But I uh, know a lot of exciting things uh, from recruiting to the season being here. Uh, so go follow us at the J-Boy Show. And I appreciate it, Hoke, man. This is fun. Yeah, absolutely. Go go check it out. A lot of good football perspective, and, and he keeps an eye on nationwide and, and all that good stuff. Make sure you're on Auburn Live, auburnlive.com, for those people that are checking the podcast out for the first time. Um, we're on Apple and Spotify and all that good stuff. But go to auburnlive.com. A lot of good recruiting and football coverage and basketball coverage. And all that good stuff. Jake, appreciate it, man. Until next time, we'll see you.